South Jersey's Eagle Station. And he spins, and he says, touchdown! WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, let's get into it. Keith Smith, Yahoo Sports NBA, at Keith Smith NBA. The NBA playoffs continue tonight. Heat and Celtics right here on 97.3 ESPN. You can hear the game starting at 8 p.m. is the coverage. Keith Smith, of course, covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports, and he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. We'll start off with his tweet from two hours ago, starting to hear a lot of buzz that the Sixers are letting teams know they are open to trade talks if they hire Mike D'Antoni to be their next head coach. Philly realizes that the current roster with all the bigs isn't built to be successful for a D'Antoni team. A lot to dive into on that. As we know, Billy Donovan was hired last night in Oklahoma City. So essentially, Keith, is it down to Mike D'Antoni and Tyron Lue to be the next 76ers head coach? Uh, it sounds like it, but they definitely have competition for both of those guys. They are both uh, in the running for other jobs around the league. We know the Houston Rockets job is open. Obviously, D'Antoni's not going back there, uh, but the Indiana Pacers are, would love to have D'Antoni. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans and the Rockets are both looking at Ty Lue. So I, I, I think Philadelphia is probably choice one for Lou. I don't know where D'Antoni comes out, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And the, the expectation is maybe by the end of this week, early next is probably when everything gets wrapped up one way or another. All right. So in other words, if Mike D'Antoni says, I will take this job, but you're going to have to split these guys up. I mean, is that essentially uh, the way you're hearing things? Or is this coming from the Sixers? Like, hey, we want you, we like your philosophies, and we know that this won't work with our current roster, so we're willing to break some things up just to get you. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both from from the folks I have talked to. If D'Antoni's not coming in and making any kind of ultimatums or anything like that, but he, through the conversations, has made it clear he has his preferred style. They, the Rockets, he, he was very appreciative that the Rockets went to the smaller, uh, more perimeter-based grouping. What he didn't like was he was never able to get those guys to play up-tempo, how he really wants to play. He wants to get back to playing that seven seconds or less style that he had with the Phoenix Suns. Well, with Philadelphia, the current way they're built, there's only a couple guys that really fit that. The rest of the roster is a little more plodding. They're they're a little more going to get up and down, you know, slowly get up and down the floor, play more in the half court. And I think D'Antoni is not coming in and saying, you have to do these things. But I think Philadelphia is realizing if this is the direction we go, if we're going to maximize this coach, then we know we need to start moving some of these pieces around because they don't all fit exactly what he wants. I don't know how much the 76ers actually talked to Billy Donovan, but should it be concerning that he looked at Chicago and looked at that roster and went, huh, that's definitely intriguing, maybe more so than the Sixers roster? I don't know that I would say say that necessarily. I think Billy Donovan, got, from my understanding, is he got paid pretty healthily 
from Chicago. They made him a pretty good offer. And on the flip, the, the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that is he knows he has time in Chicago, where with Philadelphia, the expectations are we need to win and we need to win, you know, sooner rather than later with Chicago with, hey, help us get there versus, uh, you know, come in and, and make us a contender right away. So I think that's why that, that job was a little more appealing to Billy Donovan. The other piece I would say there is he has younger guys in place and some uh, good passers and things like that with the Bulls that I think that's what he's looking forward to is kind of replicating a lot of the success he had at both the University of Florida as well as with the Oklahoma City Thunder. All right, Keith. uh, So let's ask this question then. If Mike D'Antoni gets hired by the Sixers and they had to make a decision, which piece fits better for Mike D'Antoni, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid? Or are we just assuming that we're that it means that one of those guys would have to go? Or, or maybe it's like, hey, look, I can't come in here with Al Horford and Tobias Harris. You're going to have to do something there. Yeah, I think it's more of the latter from what I, I'm hearing is it's we've got to move away from Horford or Harris. I don't think there's any push coming from D'Antoni or anybody on, hey, it's time to split up Embiid and Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons, he can fit D'Antoni's offense wonderfully because while while he's not a great shooter, he's a fantastic passer. He's a good ball handler. He can make a lot of things happen. And a lot of what folks have said years, you know, over the years is, Get Ben Simmons into an up-tempo offense, and you're going to see a player really start to blossom because if you're playing fast, the ability to play off him, collapse, and put him in the half court, really kind of ignore him uh, defensively and those kind of things, that, those, are, those are things you can't do if you're playing that real up-tempo game. So I, I don't think it's uh, either or with Simmons and Embiid. I think it's both, but I think it is. We, gotta, we, we can't go into this year with four, you know, power forward size guys or three power forward size guys in the center as our main pieces. I think they're also willing to listen on Josh Richardson and those types of things, but I don't, I don't think there's any desire really to move Simmons or Embiid. When watching these playoffs, I look at Jokic out there and I just think, wow, he plays the game with this, Oh, man, he's so smart with the game. And I know that's the difference in Embiid. Embiid has like that more raw, natural ability, but he might not have the same IQ. But I just watch him out there, and I think to myself, is there a way for Joel Embiid to translate his game to be more like Jokic, not to take away from Embiid's skill set, but do you think that there's a way that maybe he can mirror some of what Jokic does to help him out there on the court? Uh, He's never going to be the ball handler or passer that Jokic is. Jokic really has, you know, guard skills in a big man body um, with, with the way he plays. But I think there are pieces that Embiid can can bring to that. And I, and I don't want to make an excuse for him, but I think we forget sometimes that he still hasn't been playing basketball all that long. You know, compared to some of these guys who, you know, a guy like Jokic, who's been playing since he was five, six years old, you know, and B just doesn't have that. But then when you add in that he was robbed a very valuable time early in his career where, you know, he would have been playing through and learning some of these things. But I think what he can get better at, and, and you saw signs of it as this past season went along, was embracing the double teams, making the right read, and being content with, 
if the ball doesn't come back to me, it's fine as long as we get a good look out of this, a good shot. And I think that's something that he can learn. And this is where it gets kind of tough. I know at this point Al Horford is you know massively overpaid on the contract he's on, but that's another guy Embiid can learn from as far as the ability to embrace the double team, make the right pass, and make those decisions as a passer because that's something Horford excels at. And still, even in a tough year, he was still a plus passing big man. How much uh, interest, realistic interest, would there be in Horford? I know the contract's tough, but do people value what he brings? And do some good teams look at him and say, he can still help us win? Or was last year such a disaster for him that his value has completely plummeted? Yeah, here's the challenge. There are good teams who really like Al Horford. Their ability to get him, though, is almost nil because in order to match salary, they'd have to give up good pieces or sacrifice a large chunk of their debt. I can tell you, for example, the Boston Celtics still love Al Horford. They would love to have him still on the team, and that that was their hope. But Horford had already moved on and had already agreed with Philadelphia by the time Boston was starting to put together how that could happen last offseason. So the challenge now for the Celtics is to match salary. You're talking about giving up either a large, significant amount of your depth or you're giving up pieces that that just it's not a fair value in trade. So that's the challenge with Horford. It almost has to be some kind of three-team deal where you're moving money around. But then if you're Philadelphia, you have to look at it. You're not going to trade Al Horford at 20-plus million and get back a really good player that makes 20-plus million. It's just not going to happen. So if you're Philly, you're what you're looking for is, yeah, maybe these aren't the best players, but if they're better fits for what we're looking to do, then those are the kind of deals that make sense. And in addition to that, it could cost them a good young player, either a Matisse Thibel um, or somebody along those lines. You know, Zaire Smith doesn't really have you know a lot of value there, or draft picks or something like that to get to move Horford's contract along. All this craziness, uh, you know, Chris Paul's name keeps getting mentioned. He's got that monster deal. Uh, does that make sense where the Sixers are? I mean, they went through all this losing to get these young players. You're going to go out and trade for a 38-year-old guy making $40-plus million. I mean, does that make sense? Uh, if you could move Horford or Harris in a deal to do that, it absolutely makes sense. Because all you're doing is trading money for money at that point for a player who is a far better fit. At that point, you're locking Ben Simmons in to a playmaking uh, power forward role similar-ish to what Draymond Green does for the Golden State Warriors, and then you'd have Chris Paul really running your offense. We saw Chris Paul still an all-star, still an all-NBA guy at this point in his career, and I, and I think you could get a lot of mileage out of him. The challenge is going to be is you've got to get get the right kind of coach, and if it's Ty Lue or Mike D'Antoni, well, we saw Paul have success under D'Antoni, and Ty Lue being a former point guard, he would make that happen. But what I would say is every time I get, and I get those trades thrown at me, you know, probably 10 times a week, um, you know, hey, does this work? Well, yeah, it works money-wise, but why in the world would the Oklahoma City Thunder without being paid significantly to do so, want to take on Horford or Harris's deal where, where they're at. And and you're not and people say, well what if we threw them, you know, two or three first round picks? You could do that, but the challenge is if they're upcoming picks, those are not going to be very good picks because you expect Philadelphia to have one of the best somewhere in the best five, eight records in the league with a Chris Paul. So that that's that's becomes a challenge. It always takes two teams to make a trade, not just one. 
hypothetically, if that did happen, and it doesn't necessarily even need to be Chris Paul, just in general with Ben Simmons, we saw him with the ball in his hands over the last couple of years, and then towards the back end, we saw him playing off the ball more. And I just want to get your thoughts on with what you saw, which was very limited action. Do you think that there's a road to go down with Ben off the ball? Because personally, I didn't love what I saw, although a new coach and a new system can change things. I, I like him with the ball in his hands more, but then we can all go back to obviously the shooting aspect and how that kills the spacing. Yeah, what I don't think you can do is play Ben Simmons off the ball and say go stand in the corner because then teams are going to say, great, that's a whole side of the floor. We're just not going to defend. But if you can get him involved as a cutter or you can get him involved as a as the role man and pick and roll, now all of a sudden a wonderful amount of options open up for you. It's like a whole new world of basketball because of his size and his ability to both finish at the basket and see the floor. He would be one of the better role men in the league. The problem is you need a point guard to be able to do that, to, to work that. We know under Brett Brown they were one of the lowest pick and roll volume teams in the entire NBA because when it was Simmons running it teams just dropped the drop way under it and they mucked up all the spacing and made a mess of it if it was Simmons setting the screen the guy who was coming off it wasn't a good passer but if you had a good passer in that position and you had Simmons in the role and that passer was also a threat to shoot a little bit now all of a sudden things really start to change and they look very very differently for you so that that's the thing I don't mind him playing off the ball as long as he's still engaged and actively involved in the offense if you're going to play him off the ball and put him in the corner then you might as well play somebody else because that's just completely useless on that end of the floor Keith Smith's with us at Keith Smith NBA Yahoo Sports NBA of course uh you got game three uh, game four tonight Celtics are down two games to one they looked a lot different got Gordon Hayward back you talked about now he didn't have a big impact numerically but what was his impact uh on game three the ball moves better when he's on the floor. You, you can see um, they just the ball gets popping around. They, they, they hit the paint a lot more. He's one of their better ball handlers with his size and strength. Guys can't bump him off his drive as easy. So he'll get into the paint. He'll make passes on kickouts, and sometimes that leads to the defense scrambling to get into that second paint attack. And that's what Brad Stevens wants his offense to do. Each possession, he wants it to hit the paint at least once, ideally two or three times, because you're going to create a good shot one way or another out of that. You also saw Hayward get to his own shot. I think his, his rhythm's off a little bit. His timing's off with his jumper. but So he didn't make quite as many of them, but, but you saw him get to his shot. And then against the zone defense, he was able to penetrate the gaps in that zone. And having him as the threat of another shooter out there, that put another guy that, that Miami had to stick a little tighter with, which stretches the zone. That creates those bigger gaps. And you saw Boston, whether through drives or cuts, was able to really get into the teeth for that. They had five straight plays in the second half, which is really where they've fallen apart, where they went right at uh, Ben. I almost said Joel Embiid. Sam Adebayo at the rim went right at him five consecutive plays, and they ended up with four baskets and and two free throws on that. So that that's huge for the Celtics. Defensively for Hayward, his size and strength again allowed them to go to their small lineup because they were replacing um, instead of you know going really small with a Brad Wanamaker in there or somebody like that. 
they were able to go small with Walker, Tatum, Brown, Smart, and Hayward. Um, while that gives up a lot, those guys are quick enough, they're strong enough, and they're long enough that they can still handle what they need to handle inside, and that's an extremely difficult offensive group to stop. That group was fantastic in the closing moments of the first half as well as in the closing moments of the game, and I expect Brad Stevens to lean on it even more here tonight in Game 4. Should be a good one. We'll have that game tonight. The coverage starts at 8 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. And then uh, the Nuggets, obviously, they get back into it. They thought they should have won Game 2. So are we looking at a knockout, dragout fight, or are the Lakers going to take control of this one on Thursday night? Yeah, Game 4 is always my favorite game in a series because either it's probably going to be over 3-1, and one, but you know, try to tell the Nuggets that, right? Or or it's going to be 2-2 two, two, and you're, you know you're in for a series. So that that's always a lot of fun. And so both of these, now we're looking at some fun Game 4s. I do think the Nuggets found some stuff that worked. I think they started to find it towards the back half of Game 1. And then Game 2, they probably should have won that game. And they're feeling really good. And they feel like with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, they have two players that they're their best two players are at the two spots where you can attack the Lakers the easiest. And that makes it a huge challenge for LA. Now on the flip side, LeBron James didn't play so great in game two. He didn't play real great in game three either. So I think you're looking for LeBron probably to bust out. And I think you're going to see the Lakers, if they're smart, they're going to get Anthony Davis going downhill a little bit more versus settling for so many jump shots. Because when he's been utilized as a role man in this series, they are almost unstoppable. The Nuggets just don't have a player who can stick with them. And if it's LeBron or Rondo, they're setting them up very easily for baskets. So, so that's going to be a big challenge there. So I, I think you're going to see the Lakers make a couple adjustments. But I think we're in for a fight the rest of the way. I think that's going to be a close series. Uh, former Sixer Jeremy Grant had a big night last night for the Nuggets, and of course they win. It's 2-1 there. It's 2-1 in the East, and uh, you can hear the Eastern Conference tonight on 97.3 ESPN. Alright, Keith Smith on the NBA playoffs and the Sixers offseason news, which uh, they still have not hired a coach, but it looks like it's down to two, and you can follow him for more at Keith Smith NBA, and he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Keith, always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you again. Absolutely. I'll stay safe, you and yours. All right. Here, uh, there you go. So uh, the news is interesting there that he brought up, Rhodes, which was uh, he, yes, the report was that they'd be willing to move some guys, but he said not Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. It made me think. We talk about this front office. We talk about how, you know, that realistically, they're business guys. Moving on from Embiid or Ben Simmons, take away what actually matters on the court, but what about the pockets? Think about what they do. They sell tickets. The Wells Fargo Center has been sold out all the time. The jersey sales. I don't know if this ownership group, who values money so much more than anything else, would want to move on from Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, just from the sales standpoint. Uh, it's a great point. I mean, they sell a lot of jerseys, though, too. They pack the building every single night. And I don't know. See, I don't know. Like, we've heard so many guys come on and say, look, when you trade your star player like that, very rarely do you get back something of uh, of fair value in return. You're just trade. Like, I saw a trade. Um, I want to say it was John Hollinger who uh, put this trade out there. And it was like a very interesting like thought provoking trade but it's and I got to see if I can find it but I'm going to like try to go off of memory here but it was basically like Ben Simmons 
um, Ben Simmons and I want to say like Al Horford, you know, going down that route just to get rid of the Horford contract. And then you would get back like, uh, okay, here it is. I found it. Um, let me, uh, see if I can go find the exact offer that he threw out there. Uh, Horford is in the trade. I want to say it had to do. All right, here it is. Al Horford, Ben Simmons to Oklahoma City for Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. And then you land, say, the 25th pick this year, Miami's unprotected pick next year, the Clippers' unprotected pick the following year, and a protected pick from the Thunder in 2023, and a Memphis second rounder in 2024. Like, essentially just switching and just taking, getting back all these first-round picks so that you're right back where you were, where you have all this uh, draft capital. Nope, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I can't trade Ben Simmons. I'll go down with the ship. I'll trade Joel Embiid, but I don't think I would trade Ben Simmons because I think even if he doesn't shoot and you're frustrated with him, if you surround the team in a different way and you have these sharpshooters, Miami with the Tyler Heroes, the Duncan Robinson, well, guess what? That adds a layer. Ben Simmons led the league in three-point assists on a team that has no three-point shooting. Here's the problem. Here's the problem I have with with this, the whole, like, Ben Simmons being involved in a trade for like a Chris Paul. And he says, yeah, you do that. And, and because you're, you know, um, you know, you're trading money for money essentially, but you're essentially getting like a year or two, a Chris Paul, a 30, you're going to start working to build a team around a 38 year old guy. I mean, yeah, you still have Joel Embiid here, but you know, Chris Paul, how many years is, I mean, what are you taking to two shots with Chris Paul all of a sudden? I, I don't There's- like that philosophy. I agree with you. There's no way I'm giving up on Ben Simmons as a whole. I'm Like I said, I'm going down with the ship. If it doesn't work, then okay, but I die trying. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, the Ben Simmons thing, I, I want to see another coach get to him first because, as everybody said, oh, you got – I want to see if another coach – pull what he pulls out of Ben Simmons. And I think if another coach doesn't get out of Ben Simmons what you hope to get out of Ben Simmons, at that point I think you then got to consider doing something. I would have to agree. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just not saying, hey, this is what he is. I'm done. I'm getting rid of him before somebody else gets the chance to kind of work with him. Right. Like, if he if he's touching, you know, that age where he's 29 years old and we're screaming about the same concepts all the time, then yes. I mean, there is a time where I do think it's necessary. But for the most part, I mean, come on now. I look at Ben Simmons. I look at his defense. I look at his skill set. And there's something in there. We just got to find a way to tap into it. Well, Mike D'Antoni... Could be the next Sixer head coach. It could happen soon, by the way. Um, but there is competition, as Keith said. He is interested in the Pacers' job as well. You know what? A name I haven't heard much about from the Pacers. Nate McMillan. McMillan. Yeah. Is he really not in any sort of conversations for any opening? I mean, I, I haven't heard anything about the New Orleans job. Also like, a great point. You know, and I mean, they got Zion down too. I don't know. In the market, is it being discussed? Let's be realistic. The Sixers head coaching job has been fourth on the list over the last couple weeks, too. So, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably just super quiet there in general. Hey, uh, let me tell you about my buddy Lee Malotsky over at SHM Financial. Are you retired now? Are you getting close to that retirement age and you're wondering what to do with my money? Well, give Lee and the guys over at SHM Financial a call at 800-MONEY-SHM, 
and ask them every question. You never know what's going to happen with the election coming up. Their latest podcast is all about that, election-proofing your assets. And you can ask about annuities and what's right for your money. Do you want to be more aggressive? Do you want to kind of have a your risk profile analyzed? Lee will do it all. He's been doing it for 58 years. They're the kind of questions you want to ask if you're getting to that age, that retirement age, and you're just not sure what to do moving forward. Don't do it unassisted. Get a Ben Simmons in there to throw you a pass. Lee Malotsky, SHM Financial, 800-MONEY-SHM, shmfinancial.com. Check out that weekly podcast, Election Proofing Your Assets is the latest one. They have a bunch of them up there, and I recommend going and checking that out because we're all looking at ways to expand our money. Weeks, find out next. The Eastern Conference Finals on ESPN Radio. Puts up the shot, hangs on the rim, and goes down. The Celtics broke through. 7-3 ESPN. All right, time now for the Fine Five, Ugly Five. These are the five best, five worst teams in the NFL, picked by us each week after all the action is done, getting ready to go into the Thursday night game tomorrow night, which you can hear right here on 97.3 ESPN. Brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you online, gmslaw.com. All right, Fine Five, Ugly Five, five best, five worst teams in the old and National Football League. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, real quick, do not forget about DraftKings' special offer to all new users where you can bet $1 and turn that into $100 when you sign up using promo code 973. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey-only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. Um, all right, my uh, list is very – a little cha- couple subtle changes on the list this week. I'm interested to see how you uh, mapped yours out. But the five, five, ugly five, let's go into the ugly five first. Who's your fifth worst team in the league? All right, I do have some changes when it comes to my ugly five. Number five for me is the Dolphins. I, I just feel like it's the same stinking Dolphins every single year at this point. They did draft Tua for a reason, but you don't have that right now. And you look at the AFC East, they're continuing to be in the same spot every year, and I don't see anything changing unless, you know, a major change happens in the quarterback position. So for me, I'm going five, the Dolphins. I considered them, but they fought hard. I mean, they hung in there against the Bills. They did fight back. I mean, they had a tough they game did. there. I went with Minnesota. I mean, this is a team that has been extremely disappointing. And you know where they're really bad? Their defense is, right now, the worst in the entire league. They've given up more points than any team in football. Garbage. And they absolutely overplayed their hand by giving up digs. Uh, We talk about Wentz here. Uh, Cousins looks like a lost soul. He is zoning in on Thielen, and that is it out there. So... Thanks, by the way, for giving me Dalvin Cook, you bastards. <laughs> That's right. I yeah. forgot about that. They're the they're the fifth worst team in football right now, and it's all because, I mean, well, it's not all because. I just said Cousins is really struggling, but that defense is the worst in football. They've given up more points than any team in the entire NFL right now, so that's number five for me. Number four, I went with, uh, you're going to see them this weekend. I went with Cincinnati, and why I think they're getting better, you know, their differential is only minus eight. They still have a long ways to go to become a winning football team. And you heard Baldy what he said earlier. If you lose to this team, you got a lot of problems. They got problems on the defensive side of the ball. Their offensive line is still very leaky. 
They got some, you know, nice offensive weapons with Mixon and A.J. Green and Boyd, but and, and obviously Burroughs, but I think their defense is still a big problem, and their offensive line is, is really I, – I mean, I think still Cincinnati's looking at 4-12, and 5-11. and 11. Before I give my number four, the reason why I didn't put Minnesota in my five is the same reason why the Eagles won't be on there, and it's – Yes, they've been awful through the first two weeks. I, I just don't know if that's who they really are, though, yet. I need to see them be this bad for a long period of time before I go, like, you know what? This Minnesota team is just awful. So I guess it's just like I think the law of averages will work out for them. My number four is Detroit. That coaching staff has no idea what they're doing. Matt Patricia, you talk about garbage. He is garbage. He's got no clue. He's in over his head. They will never win anything, it seems. That lion, I feel bad for Matthew Stafford because if he's on a team, if Bill Belichick had Matthew Stafford, come on, it would be a completely different story around this guy. And you can say that about any other coach in other any other organization for the most part other than a handful and you look at Matthew Stafford differently it, it's got to be the Lions at number four I have him at number three dumpster fire I had him to start the season at number five and people were like hey you know they got Stafford back and yeah no dumpster fire Patricia's awful the team's terrible culture's awful out there they got rid of Caldwell who was nine and seven and they brought this clown in who has done nothing but just bungle games they're the second worst defense in the league their offense stinks they're the Detroit Lions, and you're perpetually one of the ugly five teams in the league simply because you're Detroit. And guess what? Your play on the field doesn't seclude you from that. You stink at that, too. Lions, number three. All right, well, we flip-flopped fours and threes because my number three is Cincinnati. And I agree with you perfectly, or, you know, I, I agree with you completely when you say they're getting better. And you look at their differential, it's not like they're getting blown out. They're in there, they're involved, but there are a ton of holes where it's going to hold this team back. They're intriguing. There's no doubt they're intriguing. Joe Burrow, I really liked what he did last game on Thursday Night Football against Cleveland. I thought he showed a lot of promising stuff. And he does seem to be like a baller that everybody looks back at and goes, all right, this guy's going to put us in a good position. So I like them. There's just a lot of holes on that roster right now. So for that reason, I still have them in my ugly five, and they're at three. All right, number two, who you got there? I have Washington. There's no way that this team is going to be able to move the football all that well throughout this season. I mean, I just don't believe in Dwayne Haskins and what they have. And then on top of that, while I really do enjoy their front on the defensive side and what they could bring to the table from a rush standpoint, you don't have great corners. You don't have great secondary pieces. And with that and the offense combined, I'm just not ready to look at the Washington football team as anything serious. They're my number two. Uh, Washington didn't make my five this week. Uh, they were out of it last week, too. So they've got out of there two weeks in a row. They did start off at number three. But I thought their defense played well enough uh, in the first week. Not last week so much. Their defense didn't play great last week. Uh, I got the Giants at number two. I mean, the Giants, look, I didn't. I, at the beginning of the year, I had them at four. They stayed at four, even though they didn't win. But now they've not only lost, they lost Saquon Barkley. And I hate to see that happen. I'm not sitting here rooting for the fact that they lost Barkley. I love watching that kid play, and it sucks that he is out right now. Without him, I mean, yeah, they added Freeman. Then they put a receiver on the uh, list today, uh, Sterling, um, Sterling Shepard. They put him on the injured list today. Their line still stinks. Their defense still stinks, although it's gotten a little bit better. 
I just don't see that team. I mean, without Saquon Barkley, I mean, really, they got nothing. The, the Shepard kid's out. I don't think Jones is equipped to lead you know, this team by himself. I see a long 3-13, and 4-12 and 12 season again for the Giants. I mean, not that I'm – I like that. I don't like Barkley being hurt. I, I wouldn't mind if they were 3-13 and 13 if Barkley played. Without him, man, I do feel legitimately bad for that kid. Definitely. Nobody wants to see anybody get injured, especially a special talent like Saquon Barkley. They'll probably be on my list as they continue to fall. I would imagine that this would make life super hard for Daniel Jones at this point because the threat of Barkley is something that would open up more field for him to operate. For my number one, though, we're going to stick in New York, and this Jets team has no identity. They're abysmal. Adam Gase is a joke. What is Sam Darnold? You know, like, what is Sam Darnold? I have no idea what he is. And is he bad because of what you have in the head coach? Is he just that awful of a coach that he can't put Sam Darnold in any position? And then you look at where they are when it comes to wide receivers. They don't have anybody who's a threat. Le'Veon Bell is injured. They're going through injuries. They are so awful. And, I mean, I don't know if that head coach can even make it through the season. I would be surprised. I have the Jets too, and, and not look. They have the only team that scored less points in the Jets this year are the Giants, and obviously they had some injuries there that have helped that. Their defense is not very good. The head coach has been completely just mocked and laughed at. It just seems that he has no respect out there. You talked about Le'Veon Bell. They put him on the injured list. He says my hamstrings are fine. Just completely mismanaging Darnold. They have no talent at wide receiver. Their defense doesn't bring much to the table. They don't seem to give a whole heck of a lot of effort. What are the, the players today? We're saying that our our coaches, our our practices are lethargic. I mean, it just seems that Gaze is that guy that's just you're waiting for the day where they just decide, all right, we're blowing him out and we're we're just gonna you know sleepwalk through this season with a new coach. But the Jets are definitely number one in the ugly five so there you go there are ugly five teams five worst teams on the season so far for us let's go over the fine five who are the five best teams in the league right now number five for me i'm going with aaron Rodgers in the green bay packers 85 points defense better this year plus 30 on the differential but Rodgers is really the key to it all he's really played well i did not believe in the packers last year I feel better about them this year. I think their team's better this year than last year. I'll go Packers, number five. My number five, I hope I'm not too premature here, but the New England Patriots look good. They really do. This whole Cam Newton thing is working out. Now, they lost to Seattle on Sunday night, but they were in it. They could have won the game. It came down to the wire. It came down to a, a, a run play there at the goal line, which they gave it to Cam. So many big pieces for the Patriots were opting out, not playing. And all of us were laughing, oh, this is going to be a bad year for the Patriots then. And here they have a special talent in Cam Newton with Josh McDaniels, who's obviously very creative when it comes to his offensive scheme. Maybe I'm a little premature, but I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm going to put the Patriots as number five because I can smell something brewing in that city once again. All right, number four, I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I said it before the season. If they get back Big Ben, they went 8-8 eight and eight last year. That should be at least two more wins for them, maybe more. Well, right now they're off to a good start, and it's because their defense has been really good, but Big Ben's been a huge part of it. He spreads the ball around, and look, they got some good weapons out there. You might not recognize a lot of the names, but that's because Roethlisberger just does a good job of getting them all the ball and kind of letting them all kind of do their thing. 
their team is much more equipped now with Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback than they were last year with the Duck Man, Ducky Hodges. But they got some nice uh, weapons at wide receiver. Juju, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, the tight end, Ebron. Um, I like what they bring to the table offensively, and their defense has got, is, is much better this year. Uh, so I like Pittsburgh right now at number four. At number four for me, I am going with Green Bay. You nailed it with Aaron Rodgers. And last year, you looked at that team, and they did win a lot of games, but you just questioned, how good are they really? It seemed like they were getting the victories. The win column was going up, but there wasn't a true vibe that that team could really make that next push and really win it all last year. This year, totally a different season. The the team is flying around, scoring a bunch of points and and doing what they need to do effectively. And it all starts with Aaron Rodgers, who is a bad, bad man, as they say. He has uh, definitely uh, picked up his play this year. All right, number three. I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks. They beat uh, New England in a great game on Monday night. Quarterback's fantastic. You know, one little problem that worries me about them a little bit is the injury to um, Bruce Irvin up front, which means their pass rush. They don't have a great pass rush to begin with, and he was the guy they signed Irvin to come back in to give them some pass rush. So losing him might hurt them a little bit there. That does concern me, but I really like watching their offense, man. Wilson and Carson and Metcalf and Lockett. They're tough, and uh, Jamal Adams really changes that defense around. I love the linebacker, Wagner. They won that game the other night with um, uh, Diggs got thrown out of the game, and they still were able to win the game. So I'll give uh, Seattle another ride at number three. I have Seattle at three as well, and I don't know what he was thinking trying to make that hit. I mean, you couldn't be more head-to-head contact on what he was doing up the middle there. You talked about their offense. There's no doubt that that is a very entertaining part of that team with Russell Wilson doing the magic that he does. But then you hit on Jamal Adams. And to me, he he can make up for so much. And you can utilize him in so many different spots. We all laughed at the package it took to get him. And it was hefty. He is a difference maker. So you talk about the lack of pass rush. Well, can you utilize Jamal Adams in a way where... You know, he blitzes, he does this, he does that. He does so much and covers so much of the field where someone like Jamal Adams can maybe make up for that lack of pass rush and the injuries. He's fun to watch flying around. They have the kid in Oakland, uh, Las Vegas, too, Abram. Uh, He's another guy that comes up and hits you and flies all over. Eagles don't have a safety like that, man. They did. Although, if you saw what Malcolm Jenkins did on Monday Night Football, you can say that uh, it was the right move. Yeah, he wasn't. I mean, those guys are a little bit different safety than Malcolm Jenkins is. I mean, he's he's more. I mean, those guys are more, you know, come up and hit you, more physical. I think I use the word savvy a lot. Jenkins was a very savvy safety uh, where, you know, Adams and, and Abram are just physical guys. I mean, it's like Troy Palomalu type of guys as opposed to say uh, Ed Reed you know like Reed was just a ball hawking guy Palomalo would come up and smoke you right and, and to be honest with you Malcolm was essentially a linebacker towards the end here no yeah I mean he did uh, a lot more in the box all right let's go to number two who do you got I have the Ravens I have the Ravens I think that they're just cruising They're doing their thing. As long as they just continue to go on this ride, I don't think they're really going anywhere in my standings unless they fall apart, which I don't imagine happening. 
Uh, and I got Kansas City this week. They uh, flip-flopped with Baltimore. I got Kansas City number two. They went on the road. They really struggled. You hear what Baldy said that, you know, not playing with people. They didn't seem all that juiced up. But, you know, as much as, look, I, I know Kansas City won the Super Bowl last year. I think Baltimore looks better this year. Not Kansas City looks better this year than they did last year. But they've given up 22 points. I mean, they've been dominant this year, and their offense is better. They've scored 71. They've given up 22. Kansas City scored 57. They've given up 40. They, I think uh, the Chargers are just an average team at best, and they struggled a little bit on that on the road. They needed three 50-plus field goals to win. Baltimore, to me, has been the most dominant team in the league. That's a good point. No, that that's fair. That's very fair. I think it's reasonable reasonable to put the Ravens at one based off of what you saw the Chiefs do in that last game and the field goals, and it was wild. It was a very entertaining game, without a doubt. I just think the Chiefs have a little more still, even though it was an ugly game. And I can only imagine how tough it is to get hyped up when you're so used to running out the sixty something thousand people to you know five. Yeah. Right. Five. <laughs> well, if you're playing the Chargers, it'd probably only be five anyway. Touche. Uh, that is our, who's in, uh, excuse me, our fine five, ugly five after uh, two weeks of NFL football. Tomorrow, we got a lot of football stuff to get ready for. Jeff Pasquino from the Football Guys helps set your fantasy football lineup. Adam Kaplan is in the house. Our NFL schedule, we will take our first look and set the lines for week number two in the NFL. And then, of course, the doc is back. We'll get his thoughts on what happened with Jalen Rieger, how long will he be out for, and what kind of impact that might have. Friday show, Sal Pal Friday. Sal Pal at 3 o'clock, Chad Millman. Uh, from the Action Network, Jeff Mosher is back. A happy hour Friday with the PT and Keith Smith. So we got plenty for you to get ready for this Eagles-Bengals matchup and all the NFL Week 3 action.